TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. I always enjoy bringing you the latest. This is The Scoop. It's The Scoop with Darren Dukey-Wolfson from 5 Eyewitness News. And away we go on this late Thursday afternoon, the 5th of November. This is Scoop Podcast episode 320. Hopefully for the next whatever length this podcast goes, 75 minutes, 65 minutes, 55 minutes. Heck, if you listen for just two minutes, hopefully this can serve as some sort of distraction to everything going on in our world, both politically and health-wise. The coronavirus numbers here in Minnesota are out of control right now. I was just texting with Joe Rossi, Gophers defensive coordinator. He won't coach on Saturday at Illinois. He has tested positive. I can cite you a few other very personal connections to coronavirus it's almost inevitable that many of us will get the virus so hopefully i pray i hope that all of us who end up with it those who have had it are okay but the numbers are incredibly troubling i'll begin by emptying out my figurative notebook on the vikings they did not come close to making any additional trade so a couple weeks ago they ship yannick Ngakwe off to baltimore i said on the Mackey and judd podcast two thursdays ago that I would put the over-under at one and a half. So it was later that day they made the Ngakwe trade. It turns out they made just the one trade. I actually would have bet the over. I thought Riley Reef would land somewhere, but it sounds like the Vikings did not come close to moving Reef, Anthony Harris, Kyle Rudolph, or anyone else. Tajay Sharp, wide receiver who can't even dress on game day. He'd love to, but the Vikings have chosen other receivers Ahead of him, his camp was hoping to peddle him to New England, but the Patriots decided to go in a different direction, trading for a different wide receiver. On Harris, he has fans in Washington, Ron Rivera and company, but he's due approximately, what, about $6 million the rest of the year. Washington wasn't interested in taking on all that money, so there really wasn't a fit between the Vikings and the Washington football team. Tennessee checked in going back seven to ten days on Riley Reef, but they've really liked the left tackle that they have now replacing their starter who went down with a season-ending injury. Baltimore loses Ronnie Stanley last week, but Baltimore just doesn't have any cap flexibility. They didn't have a way to absorb Reef's contract, so it doesn't sound like anything came remotely close on that front. Dallas can use a left tackle, but Dallas wasn't interested in adding salary, so bottom line, the Vikings just didn't come close to making any additional trade the Vikings are still on the lookout for defensive back help I just saw Thursday's practice report it looks like Cam Dantzler still in the concussion protocol Mike Hughes remains on injured reserve you've got injuries left and right Holton Hill with the foot injury heck this guy Chris Jones who they picked up off what the Detroit practice squad it looks like he will earn snaps on Sunday Mark Fields is hurt. He looked okay in the limited action he saw Sunday in Green Bay, but the Vikings defensive backfield, specifically a cornerback, is a complete mess. Condrea Tankersley, former Clemson Tiger, former Miami Dolphin, was a third-round pick out of Clemson a few years ago back in 2017. He visited the Vikings earlier this week, so that's a name to keep an eye on. As a safety, Dallin Levitt off the Raiders practice squad. The Vikings have Levitt on their radar. We'll wait and see if the Vikings make a move on Levitt. No on Eli Apple. I've been asked about Eli Apple. Trust me. His camp has reached out to the Vikings. There's an obvious need, right? The Vikings need defensive back help. So, heck, the agents for these free agent defensive backs are calling the Vikings or texting the Vikings saying, hey, 
What about my client? But I'm told no on Eli Apple. I've been asked about Jonathan Joseph. At this point, no steam on Joseph, but I'm waiting to hear a little bit more on that front. But no, definitively no on Eli Apple. But make no mistake, the Vikings are on the lookout for defensive back help. The Twins have planted some early seeds with free agency underway. They maintain regular dialogue with Nelson Cruz's camp, Thad Levine, the point person in those talks, but we're not to the point of any sort of contractual parameters being discussed. Jake Odorizzi, I'm told all things equal. Jake would love to be back with the Twins, really has enjoyed his time here. Feels like he's more the 2019 pitcher we saw, not the 2020 pitcher. But yeah, just like with Cruz, we're not to the point of the Twins talking actual parameters of a contract with Oda Rizzi. The Twins have checked in with some external free agents, guys like Charlie Morton, Corey Kluber, others. But again, it's more just plant seeding right now, not to the point of actually talking hardcore numbers. Mike Bell, Twins bench coach, he is not getting the Boston Red Sox managerial job. He was in the initial mix for that job. James Rousen. Remains in the mix for that job, former Twins hitting coach, but it doesn't look like Rousen will get that job. But know this, the league, Major League Baseball, I say league, I mean both leagues, right? Major League Baseball as a whole, thinks the world of Rousen. It's when, not if, James Rousen will be a Major League manager. It might even happen in Miami in a year. He's the Marlins. He's got a fancy title with the Marlins, helps their hitters, and does some other things. He's working underneath Don Mattingly. So depending on what takes place with Mattingly's future, Rousen could certainly take over the Marlins at some point. But whether it's the Marlins or somewhere else, James Rousen is going to be a major league manager at some point. On the Wolves in no particular order, I saw a note from some reporter on Twitter that's got like 30,000 Twitter followers that Jay Scrub, the former Louisville commit, The Juco, who has a lot of fans, Matt Babcock on a recent podcast, was that last week, was was talking up Scrub. Scrub is somebody that could go as high as, who knows, late first, early second round. There was a report on Twitter that he worked out for the Timberwolves. I'm told that is false. That is inaccurate. Jay Scrub, who has interviewed with the Wolves, has not worked out for the Wolves. He's worked out for some other teams but not the Wolves. The Wolves have met in person with LaMelo Ball in Southern California, Anthony Edwards in Southern California. When I say the Wolves, Gerson Rosas, Ryan Saunders, and company, I'm told they also have met with Tyrese Halliburton. I'm told they would like to get some FaceTime with Obi Toppin of Dayton. Heck, maybe that's already happened, and I just haven't nailed that down, or maybe it's still to happen, but I'm told the Wolves would like to get some FaceTime with Obi Toppin. They would love to get some FaceTime with James Wiseman, but at this point, the theme is out there. You know, we brought it up last week on the podcast with Windy, Brian Windhorst, that Wiseman and his camp just don't see the Wolves as a fit, so what's the point in meeting with the Wolves? But if the Wolves had their way, they would get some FaceTime with James Wiseman. I'm curious on Avdia. I've heard some mixed things on Avdia. I'm still working on on that angle. Isaac Okoro, you know, some other guys. Will the Wolves use all 10 draft visits? I don't know if they'll use all 10, but it may be five or six when it's all said and done with, what, 13 days to go. But those are the guys I would really, really key in on. Toppin, Halliburton, Ball, Edwards, Wiseman to some extent. I still think Charlotte at pick three is an unbelievable fit for James Wiseman. Can the Wolves and Charlotte work out a trade or the Wolves move from one to three plus acquire some additional assets? I saw Zach Lowe of ESPN wrote about Danilo Gallinari potentially being a sign and trade fit for the Wolves. I think fit-wise, he absolutely could fit 
between D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns. I have not definitively heard any steam on that front, but Zach is incredibly plugged in, so I trust him on that information. I will say the Ringer report, the Ryan Rossillo report about Devin Booker wanting out of Phoenix, I don't have that sense, that vibe. Sure, the Wolves will always gauge the market on superstars. Devin Booker, Drew Holiday, Ben Simmons, Bradley Beal. But do I think, just like I thought many, many weeks ago, it's the same, that that the Wolves are not, they're not acquiring a superstar before the draft. I think the time to look at a move like that potentially is at the trade deadline next year or next offseason. But I just don't see anything happening before November 18th, the Wolves acquiring that third superstar. They could bring in some player. I mean, does Charlotte give up a player plus pick three to move up? I mean, maybe there's a player in that regard. Detroit has interest in moving up from seven. New York from eight if LaMelo Ball, you know, can be had. You know, so you could look at some players on on those rosters. But Kevin Knox, does he do anything for you? Probably not. Does Luke Kennard do much for you? Maybe not. Maybe you know, Charlotte's got some young guys, Bridges, Washington. Do I think P.J. Washington will be included in a package? You know, Charlotte trying to move up. I don't, but maybe on Bridges. Does Miles Bridges do much for you? I mean, these are these are conversations the Wolves are having internally. I still wonder if Chicago with Markinen, with Carter Jr., would they have some interest in moving up? But there just isn't that steam right now. I think Chicago might just be comfortable taking whoever falls to four. Why give up a good asset like Markinen? or Carter Jr., but I wouldn't necessarily sleep on Chicago as a potential trade partner. But I closely would look at Charlotte, to some extent Detroit, and New York. Atlanta at six offers some intrigue, but I don't think they're giving up John Collins to move up. I think Atlanta has some interest in doing some some other things. But at some point here, it's been many, many, many months, right? It's been like nine months since we've seen a trade in the NBA. At some point, when the floodgates open, when the moratorium is lifted, we will see all sorts of action. It's the calm before the storm. I haven't mentioned every interview the Wolves have done, but I'll pass along some other names. Killian Hayes, the Wolves have connected virtually with Hayes. They have not watched him in person, but they have connected with him for a conversation. They have connected with RJ Hampton, for conversation, I hear there's a pretty good prospect that could be in the mix of pick 17 if the Wolves don't trade pick 17 that the Wolves will interview virtually on Monday. So the interviews, the draft interviews, virtually continue. On Malik Beasley, that story continues to get funkier, crazier, you know, just whatever descriptive word you want to use, troubling, you know, as the days go on, as more and more comes out, I still see a path. Bottom line, I still see a path to Malik being on the Wolves next year. Maybe some fans don't want to hear that, you know, especially after the allegations of Malik potentially pointing this semi-automatic gun at his at his young child, some of the other things that that came out the other day. I get all that, but I'm just telling you, I would not be surprised if Malik Beasley is on the Timberwolves next year, heck if they even sign him to a multi-year deal when free agency starts. I mentioned no Joe Rossi for that Gophers game on Saturday at Illinois 2.30 kickoff. I still don't expect to see Daniel Falele or Curtis Dunlap Jr. on the offensive line, but the Gophers can still get a victory, right? They are favored, although the opening line was like nine, nine and a half. The smart money came in. All of a sudden, the Gophers were like a seven-point favorite, but the Gophers can win that game. Illinois has all sorts of coronavirus issues. They have a bunch of guys out, so the Gophers can win a game. The Gophers are not going 0-8 in the regular season. That game is there to be had 
on Saturday afternoon. I was at Rosemount High School football practice the other day, masks on in the Rosemount Dome, had a chance to see Jake Ratzlaff up close and personal, talked to Jake. So he's a gopher hockey commit, but he's now got options to play linebacker for the Gophers, P.J. Fleck and the Gophers, or Paul Christ and the Badgers. My sense is, I don't know this for sure, he'll make an official decision here in the next three, four, five, six, seven-ish weeks. My sense is he goes the football route. So then will it be the Gophers or the Badgers? He did speak very highly of P.J. Fleck. Good-looking athlete, Jake Ratzlaff, also an excellent baseball player. I mean, heck, I mean, talking about his accomplishments baseball-wise, hockey-wise, and football-wise, one of the better athletes Minnesota has produced three sport-wise going back many, many years. A name to know, Jake Ratzlaff of Rosemount. All right, let's now get to some conversations. Let me start with Fran Fraschilla, longtime college basketball coach. He's now an analyst for ESPN, does great work for ESPN. He's among their NBA draft analysts. So he does a lot of college basketball games, but he's also an NBA draft expert. I caught up with Fran earlier this week. Here's my conversation with Fran Fraschilla. Fran, let me put you in the shoes of Gerson Rosas. I'm sure the paychecks are nice. The pressure is immense. Just looking at, we'll get to pick 17 and 33, but looking at pick one, what would you do if you're Gerson? Would you keep looking at possibilities to move down, acquire multiple assets, or do you love somebody so much, especially for this roster, that you would stay at pick one and just take that player? Well, I think he's doing the right thing. I am sure, Darren, he's fielding calls. Uh, and trying to figure out the value of that pick. At the same time, he and his scouting staff are evaluating the three or four or five players who could possibly be in play for them. And, of course, they're really evaluating the entire draft because if they were to trade down or out of the pick, uh, that means that uh, potentially they're taking somebody in that 8, 9, 10, 11 range, whatever they may do. So I'm sure they're doing their due diligence knowing Gerson. They've got a tough choice because they're building around D'Angelo Russell and Cat Towns right now. And if they do keep the pick, um, it's going to be a dilemma because uh, each of the three guys that we assume are in play for the number one pick. Uh, and I'll throw Obi Toppin in there as well as the fourth guy. Each of them brings something different to that uh, evolving uh, T-Wolves roster, but each of them has his own flaws, if you will. I mean, are we nuts to suggest, Fran, that 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 first tier is only four guys? Like, should Avdia be in that tier? Should should Halliburton maybe be in that tier? Heck, could you argue that maybe Lamelo Ball or Anthony Edwards shouldn't be in that tier? That's what makes to me this yes. this top of the draft so fascinating. Well, this reminds me of 2013 in some ways when we thought we said it was a bad draft, and that was a draft that produced uh, you know the Greek freak at uh, maybe 14 or so, as I recall. So I've always been of the opinion that there's no such thing as a bad draft, that sometimes it's a smoke and mirrors draft because some guys that we anticipate are going to go really high don't. Um, And really, when you think about it, most of the the information we get are from two places, the mock drafts, um, which are historically not particularly accurate, until, by the way, the very last 10 days, that's when everybody's already talked to everybody. And by that time, you have a pretty good consensus. But this year is going to be different. But anyway, without getting into a long-winded answer, um, I think James Wiseman is the best player in the draft. 
Now, does that mean that Minnesota takes him, given that they've already got Cat Towns? Some people, like my good friend Sam Mitchell, believe so, and I believe that that might not be a bad way to go because James is 7'1", 7'6", wingspan, arguably the best athlete in this draft. Anthony Edwards might have something to say about it. But um, I'd hate to pass up on a, you know, a, a young David Robinson, if you will, who, uh, you know, Ryan Saunders would have to figure out how to play the two big guys together. But the one thing we know is that everything is cyclical. And even though we say it's a small ball league right now, Anthony Davis and uh, Nikola Jokic have proven that it doesn't hurt to have size. And of course, it probably wouldn't hurt to have somebody help, uh, help uh, Cat Towns. Not saying that's what they're going to do but I think he's the best player in the draft. You and I didn't talk about Wiseman before we hopped on, on this Zoom. I'm on record, Fran, you can find it, that I feel like Wiseman is the best player in this draft. Sam, like you, is somebody I lean on for advice. <laughs> I know Sam from his days coaching and playing here. So Sam yep. Sam is a resource, but there are others. I mean, even Penny Hardaway is on record, and I get it. Yeah. That's his guy, yeah. but Penny's on record going back to August saying he thinks Wiseman and Cat can coexist. I just think his floor – is really darn high. I think yeah. Wiseman's ceiling. I mean, you said it. Maybe, maybe David Robinson asked. I just think the ceiling is so darn high that that would be a good problem to have. That that's who I would take. I would stay at one and take yeah. Wiseman. I've come, I've come to that side of things. But Fran, I guess I would be shocked if that's what Gerson does. Yeah, I understand that. And uh, but you know, on the other hand, okay, if you if you analyze the guys that who may go one, let's take Lamelo Ball for a second. Um, a brilliant passer, a great size for a point guard. Are you really going to take the ball out of D'Angelo Russell's hands, who's a ball-dominant guard and is a great passer in his own right? And let's face it, he can score a lot better than LaMelo. His shot is better. LaMelo's shot is a work in progress. Um, so that's one thing. I love Anthony Edwards. I love his long-term potential. One of the youngest players in this draft. You know, we all remember the Maui game uh, against Michigan State when he had 38. Uh, most of it in the second turn, breathtaking. I did a game in mid-January when Tennessee went to Athens and Anthony had a similar type of game. 20 in the first half, great playmaking, uh, was one of his signature games of the season. And so the, the potential is there. And as Tom Crean will tell anybody, he really should be entering college this year as a freshman. He reclassified. So you give him that. And um, if I wasn't taking James Wiseman, I would seriously think about Anthony Edwards' uh, long-term future. The key is, and I've talked to Tom about this, and he said this, you've got to surround him with people, both coaching staff and teammates, who are going to cultivate this precocious talent. And not saying he's, he's certainly a good kid, but the maturity level has to increase and that, so it may take some time for Anthony to really hit stride as an NBA player. Let me throw out one scenario that to me makes some logical sense, that Wiseman is a really good fit for Charlotte. Charlotte's met with Wiseman. There are signs that point to Charlotte really liking Wiseman. So the Wolves move from one to three. They acquire uh -huh. some other asset or multiple assets. It doesn't matter what those assets are, but Charlotte gives up three plus an asset or two. Minnesota moves down to three. But then Golden State takes Edwards, too. So Wiseman goes one to Charlotte. Edwards goes two to Golden State. So Minnesota's sitting there at three. What do you then do at three? Is it Toppin? Is it Ball? Is it Halliburton? Is it Abdiya? Who is it at three? 
Good question. You know, um, right now for me, it would be Obi Toppin. You know, Obi, Obi comes into this draft, maybe the most polished of all the top picks, maybe outside of Denny Avdia because he's played a reasonably high level. Uh, but Obi at 22 years old has only played two years of college basketball. And a lot of people don't realize this about Obi Toppin is, you know, some guys like a Zion Williamson, you see him at 16 and he looks like a freight train. Obi Toppin is a late developer. I saw a film of him playing in Westchester County, New York, and maybe six foot three as a sophomore. I'm trying to remember now in high school. So he's not the same player. He's on a trajectory where he's still improving, even though he's 22. But offensively, 190 dunks in two years, shooting 40% from three. He can post up. He can play on the perimeter. Uh, he can uh, pass the ball. The interesting knock on him is his defense. But I could say that every year, Darren, about any one of seven or eight of the top 10 picks. You know, that's what we call, I hate to put this all on Ryan Saunders, but that's called coaching. You know, we, we watched the bubble how at times um, Miami Heat had to protect Duncan Robinson uh, because he's, a you know, sometimes a limited defender. Um, that's the beauty of the NBA is it's a chess match. But one thing Obi Toppin can do is he can score the ball. So to me, he's in that mix at three, honestly. So, okay. So let's think about the top 10. So Wiseman, I mean, is he a plus defender? Maybe the big from USC, is he a plus yeah. defender? But otherwise, are all these guys, do they have question marks about their defense? I think so. I mean, unless you're talking about Isaac Okoro, who's in the mix, but is not a scorer, not a shooter. You know, you. and one thing I'll say about this draft, uh, I've gotten to know many of these kids over the last few years. This is an incredible group of kids in terms of character. And so let's take a kid like Isaac Okoro. You love everything about his physical gifts. You know, he's six foot six. He's built like a tight end. Um, he's a tremendous defender, but he doesn't shoot the ball well. 29% from three, four for 25 from, uh, from inside the arc on two point jumpers and a middling free throw percentage. Um, so, you know, again, good defender, uh, maybe an excellent defender, but you're trading off the offensive game. I talked to Sam Mitchell about this, who's got a lot more experience in this league than you and I do. And he said he'd much rather coach a guy who we know can put the ball in the basket and teach him to be an average defender as opposed to trying to get a guy uh, to become a better offensive player. I think the comparison with Okoro and, and Jimmy Butler is fair. But the one thing I would do if I were drafting Isaac Okoro is while we're working on the jump shot, give him the ability to develop a post-up game as well, much like we saw Jimmy Butler or has now after 10 plus years in the league. So I think Isaac, Isaac is also a plus defender along with uh, a Kong Wu and, um, and uh, James Wiseman. Is Halliburton a plus defender? I mean, I guess he's borderline top 10, but Fran, the Wolves have done – now, granted, they've done unbelievable homework in a lot of these guys, but I'm yes, led to believe yes. they've they've connected with Halliburton more than twice. So, I mean, yeah. he's he's in their mix. Everybody has. Everybody's connected with Tyrese uh, and probably gone back a couple times because he's such a great kid. You're asking yourself, do we really want to pass up a guy like this? I saw Tyrese, of course, doing the Big 12. I'm very familiar with Ames and Iowa State. And uh, I saw Tyrese's second game of his career against uh, Missouri. I think he only had five points that game. 
But as I recall, Darren, he played 39 minutes in a game. They beat Missouri with four starters injured. And Tyrese jumped out at me as a, what I described then, a six foot five Monte Morris, which is not a bad player, by the way. Monte's turned out to be a very solid NBA player, even as a backup. So with Tyrese, I think he's not a good enough on the ball defender because of his um, quickness to call him a great defender. But where he is great is he's a great team defender. He has an incredible IQ for the game. And uh, he's coming out in a good draft because um, there are some physical limitations he has. Um, but at the same time, in this draft where, where, where I call it smoke and mirrors, teams are going to be really excited about him in those first 10 picks because he's a great teammate, a great complimentary player. And as a team grows, he's probably going to a team that's not very good unless it's the Warriors. Um, but the likelihood is as a team gets better, his value becomes more important because he's a great teammate, both offensively and defensively. How good is the young man from from Israel? I mean, fit-wise, you might argue that that between D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns, he might fit-wise make the most sense. Yeah, Denny's a good player. I don't see – now, of course, we're not comparing him to Luka Doncic, and no one should ever do that, obviously. And when I compare James Wiseman to, da to David Robinson, Darren, it's in style of play and not long-term potential. But I think, um, I think with Denny, what you're getting is a tough, hard-nosed player very competitive. Uh, if you know anything about Israeli kids, and they don't have, they don't produce a ton of them, but the Israeli kids that turn out to be great European players play with a chip on their shoulder. Um, they're tough-minded kids. By the way, Denny's already served in the Israeli army, which is common with everybody who lives in that country. Um, but here's the interesting thing about Denny. Limited minutes in the Euro League, the top league in the world behind the NBA, but lots of minutes in the Israeli League. So a lot of the success came at a lower level, a mid-level European level. I think I project, I project Denny as a solid starter on a winning team. That's what you're getting from Denny Avdia. But if you're going to take him two, three, four, or even one, is that who you want to draft as just a starter? When normally when we have a first, second, or third pick, we're trying to shoot for the moon and try to find an all-star. Not sure that that's the case in this draft. How much separation, Fran, do you think there is between picks 17 and 33? I mean, it seems like like between picks 15 and 40, I'm, I'm not sure there's, there's a whole lot of separation. I think it's another one of those points I make about smoke and mirrors. There's going to be kids, like if you look at, I screamed two years ago about Jalen Brunson being a first-round pick. Last year it was Eric Paschal. And I think a similar situation this year, Darren, if you have, like, I think it's 17 and 33 for, for the T-Wolves, they are likely to get just as good a player at 33 this year than at 17. And uh, every team in the league does their homework. But as I look down this board and I see guys like uh, Vernon Carey at the end of the first round, uh, uh, Isaiah Stewart, who I think is being way undervalued right now, uh, who I think could easily be there at 17. And by the way, if he's not there at 17, then expect the Miami Heat to grab Isaiah Stewart. And then everybody will ask six months from now, what were we thinking? Uh, but certainly Isaiah Stewart comes to mind. Uh, I'm partial to Josh Green uh, from Arizona as a 3 and D guy at uh, either 17 or 33. Uh, uh, you know, Cassius Winston could be a solid guy at 33. Cassius Stanley 
I love as a kid that can be a three and D guy. So uh, Killian Tilly's a guy that I love because if he wasn't injured and didn't have this history of injury and he's healthy and he checks out, because you and I both know that uh, the most important thing in drafting a prospect is not his talent, but his medical. Because when you have to draft a guy high and then explain to your owner why you drafted a guy with damaged goods, you got issues. Um, but if Killian Tilly is healthy, that 33 pick is a great sweet spot for him because I think he's got mid-first round talent, but it's hard to take a chance on him with all those injuries in his Gonzaga background. Are there some other overseas kids that we should be aware of? I mean, the kid Hayes looks like he'll go among the top, I don't know, eight to ten. And then is there yeah. a kid from is it Brazil or Argentina? Spain? Argentina? Well, yeah, Leandro Balmaro, who's playing with Barcelona right now who is a six foot seven, 19, 20 year old point guard, um, who is a good player who will go likely in the first round. Um, but uh, if you want to, and of course we, uh, uh, there's another French kid by the name of Teo Maladon point guard, uh, who, um, I project as a rotation player in the future. If you want to, if you want a sleeper, uh, second round guy, maybe draft and stash, uh, Rokas Jokobitis a point guard from Lithuania, six foot four, left-handed point guard, 20 years old. Um, that would be a guy that I would classify a sleeper. He may be two years away from being two years away, but you're not drafting him in the first round. So you don't mind stashing a guy like that. You mentioned Miami, maybe grabbing Isaiah Stewart. I'll give you a name. If, if they don't grab Stewart, he's a twin cities kid. What about Zeke Naji? So they watched Zeke work out the other day. Yeah, They've interviewed him multiple times. Now, Granted, I'm sure Miami has seen some other kids work out. They've interviewed kids multiple times, but there is a sense that Miami, to some degree, likes Zeke Naji. Well, I mean, it makes sense because Zeke is a late bloomer who is really, I think, blossomed this year as a, a, a freshman at Arizona. He was ranked reasonably high, but not at the level of Stewart and Wiseman coming in. But Zeke played great basketball. And again, I absolutely, character-wise, uh, Long-term potential. Zeke's got some rebounding ability, shot blocking, perimeter ability. Um, absolutely. 20th pick with the great player development they have. One thing I say, Darren, all the time is uh, player development in the NBA is not all created equal. Some teams just do a great job of it, some a little bit better than others. And so for Miami to get a kid like Zeke Naji uh, would make sense because of his long-term upside. And uh, wouldn't be surprising at all for Zeke to go in that spot. Yeah, I mean, you're right. That's a good point. Like Daniel Oturu, another local guy. I was talking to one of his guys the other day. We both agreed we'd love to see Daniel somehow end up in San Antonio under yeah. the tutelage of Tim Duncan, right? Just fit oftentimes is so important. Who cares if you go pick 12 yes. compared to 22 long term? It matters so much, Fran Wright, just what franchise you end up with. It really does. And, you know, the guys that don't go in the lottery that end up going, let's say, 15 to 30, think about it. Most, Almost in all cases, those guys are going to playoff teams as already, in many cases, with winning cultures and surrounded usually by veteran players who have contributed to that winning playoff culture. So sometimes for a kid like Zeke to end up in a place like Miami or San Antonio, where they're certainly rebuilding, but there's a culture there with pop and Tim, Tim Duncan and, and uh, you know, some of the others, uh, um, uh, Becky Hammond, for example, where he's going to get that proper development. So fit is absolutely critical. 
and a little bit of luck and timing helps too. If you look at Eric Pascal, aforementioned Villanova star, he goes to a place that was beset with injuries and uh, has a great year as a second round pick. And now he might not even start this coming year for Golden State, but the, the value of a year worth of, of starting experience is going to help him and that team as Curry and Clay Thompson rejoin that team. Fit is absolutely critical. How much do you like Oturu? I like Daniel. I think, uh, and I saw Daniel early last year in a win against, I'm, I'm the designated uh, Fran Fraschella Invitational when Minnesota plays Boston College every year. I've done that game many, many times. Well, we'll so see was, you in December then. You'll probably see me in December again. Uh, the one thing I remember about Daniel is, uh, of course, he certainly has a toughness about him um, and a rebounding ability and I think some perimeter potential. I thought that there were times during the season in the Big 12 matched up against other really good Big 12 big men, right? Think about it. Stick Smith and uh, Tillman and Luca Garza and some others. I thought Daniel could have played with more force around the rim for a kid that size. And if you go back to his freshman year, the one area where I really think he improved was his hands got better and he was able to finish more, but I thought he could have played with a little bit more physicality around the basket. But again, two years of college, great size, good character, uh, well coached. I think Daniel is uh, my projection for him. I hate to say late first, early second, that's kind of a cop-out. I prefer to just say, is he an all-star, starter, rotation guy, end of bench guy? And I think where Daniel gets picked early is end of bench initially, chance to be a rotation player. And if you do that, Darren, as you know, a good, solid rotation big can stay in the league 10 to 12 years. Just ask the Plumleys. How about two local point guards, Trey Jones and Tyrell Terry, completely yeah. different players so I suppose it comes down to, again, fit stylistically, like what system do you run, you know, when evaluating whether you would take one or the other? Yeah, no, you know what? I've always told these young kids as I see them during the season, like this year it's Malachi Flynn, it's Jones, it's Tyler, Tyrell Terry, it's some other early, late first, early, there you go, or late first, early second round picks. But um, every team in this league needs a quality backup point guard. If you take Trey's older brother, the chances are, that much of his career, he's going to be a backup point guard. But much like a Monte Morris, I mentioned Jalen Brunson, um, you know, guys like that, they stay in the league a long time, coaches on the floor. Trey, I think, is actually a little bit better defensively than his brother was. And um, his shooting improved as a sophomore. I see Trey as being a 10-year pro, coach on the floor, um, backup point guard, playoff playoff caliber type of player. Tyrell's really interesting. You know, I can't warm up to him. Uh, not as a kid, certainly, because we know what a good kid he is. And we love his shooting. But I'm not buying the 15 pounds of muscle that I've heard about and read about. Um, I think his defensive uh, lack thereof of defensive uh, ability was evident during his freshman year because they had three quality guards at Stanford. He was by far the best offensively, but he always guarded the third best defender, uh, the best best offensive player on the team. And so I worry about that quite a bit. Physically, I worry about Tyrell's ability to make the adjustment to the NBA early on. If you take him, Darren, you're taking him uh, with long-term potential. 
You know, if somebody grabs him at the end of the first round, it's going to be a playoff team that can wait on him. And so um, good, good for him that he's coming out. Hopefully he'll be drafted where he wants. But I think the defensive end of the floor will be an area he struggles with early on. I'll ask you about two more Minnesota kids. I don't think either gets drafted, but I think both have a chance. I mean, you know, Duncan Robinson, right? I mean, any number of examples. You don't, you don't have to get drafted. Nas Reed here this past Absolutely. year, right? He got run with the Wolves. It doesn't matter whether you get drafted or not. There's still a path. Freddie totally Gillespie agree. and Freddie from Gillespie. Marquette. And, and from Marquette, Sakar, is it a nah? Yeah, I say Anham. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think his defense, you know, Sakar's got warts. He's going to have to do the G League route, but I think Sakar can can defend. I think he's got a chance, and I think Freddie's got a chance too. You know, Sakar's one of those guys, when I think in the league, and I get a chance to see a lot of these guys in high school and college, I say to myself, you put a guy like that in the G League, or he goes overseas for a year or two, and much like a Bradley Wanamaker in in Boston as a point guard, or Royce O'Neal, who played at Baylor, Went to went to Spain and ended up as a starter for uh, Utah, both undrafted. Perfect examples. Now, when you talk about Freddie Gillespie, you're warming my heart because I got a chance to see Freddie grow up and mature at Baylor. Redshirted as a junior. First of all, two field goals as a freshman at Carleton. Two field goals, okay? And uh, we know the story, the injuries in high school, and then the great story about how he got to Baylor with nothing Nothing promised to him other than a spot on the team as a walk-on. And I, I, abs- I was down at Baylor on Friday. I absolutely think Freddie Gillespie will play on an NBA roster. Um, not only has he improved as a player, but he's got size. He's got length. He's got an IQ. Uh, he's got great instincts rebounding-wise and shot blocking. He's moving his feet better than ever. And even if it's as a two-way contract, and I think he's better than this, I think Freddie Gillespie is going to find himself on an NBA roster. He plays winning basketball. He starts out, I think, as an end-of-roster guy to begin with. But if you tell me in three years he's helping uh, a team like the uh, Miami Heat, for example, win some playoff games, I'm all for it because he's, he's got high character and he's got some tools that I think translate well to the NBA. Let me hit you with a few more. So you were at Baylor. How did Dane Danger look? He may end up redshirting, but but he's a Twin Cities kid. Yeah, absolutely. I saw Dane. I've seen him twice now. And if Dane is patient, he's going to be another one of those Baylor big men who ends up being a really good college player. If he were in a situation where he wasn't on a team that's projected to be a top five team, Dane would probably be a featured guy even as a freshman. Um, his weight looks good because he's a big, thick kid. But uh, his effort level is good. And with him, like all Baylor big men, patience is a virtue because the one thing Scott Drew has done there, both in the backcourt and up front, is he's produced tremendous college players uh, when, the, when the young man's willing to wait. I think Dane's future at Baylor is extremely bright. Did you have a chance to get to Oklahoma State? If so, how good is the Cunningham kid? I mean, all this talk about the 2020 draft, rightfully so, but it seems like the 2021 draft has a chance to be incredibly special. Yeah, I was looking at the 21 draft yesterday, and there's probably six or seven wing-type players that are dynamite. That's why if you're Golden State, you may go ahead and take James Wiseman, or if you're Gerson Roses, might take a big guy like that because, and of course, Minnesota doesn't have, may not have their pick next year. 
But if you're Golden State thinking you're getting another pick next year early, you may go ahead and take the big guy knowing there's six or seven wings like Jalen Green and, and Cade Cunningham in that mix. But in watching Cade, the one thing I would tell you is, um, and this is what the coaching staff told me before I got there, he's just a freshman. I was expecting uh, LeBron James or Magic Johnson going to be very good for them and going to be one of the better players in the Big 12 and a high pick, maybe top five. But I don't want to put it on him yet that he's the top pick in the draft. Um, not yet an alpha. He's going to be tremendous, but not an alpha dog yet, Darren. I'll see in a couple of weeks when I see them again in, in live action. But very, very good, likely a high pick, just a, just a freshman. Then finally, tell me about this this 2023 prospect from, is it France? Seven foot yeah. three, plays like Porzingis, has guard skills. I don't know yeah. his name, but Fran, is he like, he's the first pick in the 2023 draft, right? Well, when, Victor, uh, I'm going to say it wrong, when, when in Yamba. And, and Victor, I'll tell you that I'm old enough to remember how great Ralph Sampson was at Virginia. You know, we see if you watch highlights of Ralph at the end of his NBA career, his body had broken down. But remember, Samson was a three-time National Player of the Year. And this kid reminds me of Ralph. Back then, we used to say about Ralph, boy, if anybody would ever just play him at point guard. Of course, we didn't do that with 7-3 guys back then. Don Nelson wasn't coaching, I think, that kind of ball yet. But uh, I do think that this kid got enormous potential. He's got a great agent who I know lives here in Dallas who represents a lot of the French players. But big victor you'll be hearing about here in uh, 2023 draft. So we got, you know, we got three years to wait on. He's 16 years old. But he plays like a point guard? Like he's got legitimate guard skills and he can well, really I would shoot say it. Ralph Sampson-esque where he can dribble it and handle it and pass it. But he, he's really, you know, more suited to be around the basket. But I've seen him knock down shots. And I think at this stage of his career – his body's got to fill out, but there's no question he's a, um, you know, a freak in terms of looking at a kid this young, be this tall and this agile. I would say the best thing about him right now for his size is his great agility. That's fantastic. Fran, you're always so gracious with your time. I'll certainly be in touch. Maybe we can, we can do this. We don't need to do this this long, but, but after the draft, I'd love to get your analysis of what Minnesota actually does. Oh, it's always a pleasure, Darren. I always love catching up with you and, uh, you know, you may see me, uh, you know, in a few months or in a few weeks here, if I'm up in Minneapolis doing the uh, Fran Frischella Invitational in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. We're all awaiting the, the Gopher schedule, the Big Ten schedule. I mean, I think the Gophers have a chance, Fran, to be decent, but the Big yeah. Ten looks like it's so stacked. The Gophers could have a good team, yet finish bottom half of the Big Ten. I'm, I'm optimistic for them. Liam, Liam Robbins, the kid from Drake, uh, has got a chance to be pretty good. The big kid from... Western Michigan, Marcus Carr coming back. Uh, and I, as you may, you may know, I'm a big fan of, of Richard and his staff. So hope so. Fran, thank you so much. Always a pleasure, Darren. Thank you. Love Fran Frischilla. Notice that the first name out of his mouth when I brought up the Gophers there at the very end was Liam Robbins. The feedback I continue to get is Liam is a future pro. Like, you need to really, really get on the Liam Robbins bandwagon. Like, he is going to be really good. I'm sure the Gophers will miss Daniel Oturu, but Liam Robbins has a chance to be really, really good. Remember that name, the transfer from Drake. On Sakar, the former D. LaSalle star, he has interviewed with among this mix, Cleveland, Chicago, Detroit, Philly, 
and Sacramento. He has not interviewed, at least not yet, with the Wolves. All right, let's now transition to some Twins talk. Alex Hassan is the Twins Director of Player Development. Instructionals wrapped up last week in Fort Myers. A bunch of the Twins' top prospects were down there. So let's catch up with Alex to find out how that went. Here is my conversation this week with Alex Hassan. Alex, let's just start with just big picture views of of how instructionals went. Correct me if I'm wrong. I believe everything wrapped up was it October 28th. That's correct. Yep, that's correct. Um, things went shockingly well, just given how the rest of 2020 has gone. I think going into instructs, the sentiment amongst our staff was just you know uncertainty. We didn't know you know we were bringing guys in from from all over the country. Um, different level of, of preparedness, um, access to resources at home, all, all those things. And, um, you know, just a, just a good amount of uncertainty on, on everybody's uh, minds. We got everybody into, um, into Fort Myers. We're very fortunate that we have um, the Academy or the um, Twins Academy in, on our campus in Fort Myers. So we were able to, uh, we had 54 player rooms. Uh, we were able to, to um, assign each player to their own room, which made things um, fantastically um, easier and, and simpler on our end. So um, very fortunate in terms of resources and, and, um, and facilities that, that could make a camp like that happen on, on very short notice. Um, and like you said, we ran um, from, uh, let's see, we started in September t- uh, 21st and we ran until uh, October 28th and had a very, very successful camp and were able to get a lot of good work in for players that frankly uh, needed it with having missed the, the whole minor league season. Take us through what a typical day looked like. I mean, was it was it some individual work and then, you know, some intra-squad scrimmages? Did you have a chance to, to head across town and, and play the Red Sox or anyone else? Yeah, so we made we made the decision early that we were going to keep things internal. And that was partly out of an abundance of caution. Uh, you're playing logistics of these things with those uncertainties that I referenced. It just felt like we could get the work that we needed to get done, staying internal. And, and like you said, playing some inter-squads um, amongst the players that we had there. So... The way we structured it was we played four days a week, Monday, Tuesday, and then Friday, Saturday. Those were our, those were our game days. Um, and we, we would have those in the afternoon. Uh, the buildup on those days, similar to what you described, there's a, a ton of individual work. And that was, that was the beauty of this structure and keeping everything internal is we were not hampered by, you know, we have this game at one o'clock and we have to travel and that's going to shorten our day. We had the full day to run the gamut of, of individual work, um, really specific work in the weight room, uh, on, on defense, in the cages, on the mound. It, it was really, um, that was probably the blessing of, of the structure that we had is that there was just a ton of time for individual work and we could structure the camp where we're attacking individual deficiencies and individual areas that we're hoping to, to improve and then get those games later on in the day to, to test that and to stress that, test that against good competition. On the deficiencies, I mean, were they, were they more glaring? And, and I think we would all understand when, when a lot of these guys hadn't played any competitive games for, I mean, for some of them, I mean. Yeah, well, no, it's a good question. Deficiency yeah, right? is probably not, probably not the, the perfect word. I would say more developmental building blocks and things that, you know, we've, we've identified in players that we've been tracking over for some of these guys, a couple of year period and saying, Hey, this is an area that for you to reach the next level and for you to have a chance or get yourself on the firmest track towards the major leagues. These are the areas that we need to improve. So deficiency, you're right. I mean, there's the, there's a component of these guys, especially on the hitting side, they haven't 
been able to do a whole lot or seen live pitching for for five or six months. So to come in and say, hey, your your first ten at bats have been bad. Now we need to change something. That that's not that was not our intent. It was more um, areas and and um, things that we've identified uh, throughout their careers and 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 in getting to know them and some of our assessments that we use both on the field and in the weight room to say, hey, these are areas that are going to help you take the 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 biggest step towards uh, reaching your major league goals. Physically, I mean, guys in good shape, and then just mentally, I mean, spirits high. I mean, I have to imagine guys just after they passed the testing, the, the COVID testing, and got out on the field. I imagine a lot of guys were just wide-eyed, just super excited to be down there. Yeah, you you nailed it. Um, I think on the on, to address the first point on the physical side, our, our strength and conditioning group did a fantastic job during during the shutdown of staying in touch with all of our players, making sure they had programming, making sure that we were you know, in communication. So we didn't have this, this, this big period where we're, you know, we're kind of wondering, Hey, have you worked out? Have you not? We had a pretty good sense on, on a good, um, a good portion of the group of, of where they were at and guys came in in really good shape. So hats off to the players themselves for working as, as best they could and our staff for doing a good job um, monitoring those things. And then once, like you said, once they cleared intake, I mean, I, it, it, that was the easiest part. I mean, things were, were pretty restrictive in that we weren't just letting, letting guys go and, you know, Rome and in, in, in Southwest Florida and, and, you know, be out later or, or do those things. So things were more, more restrictive, but the players were extremely accommodating and, and, um, and bought into that knowing that, you know, if we did have an outbreak or somebody gets it like that, that could shut things down. So players were, were, you know, couldn't have been more bought in and, and more accommodating and more, um, compliant with everything that we asked of, of them. And um, that's what made, that's ultimately what, what, what gave us, you know, what made the camp so successful in my eyes. How many players total? I mean, did you utilize all 54 rooms? Did you have more than 54 guys? And what was the cutoff? Like, you know, Royce Lewis gets a lot of work in during the summer in St. Paul. Right. So, I mean, like a guy like Royce, like, you know, did he have to be there? Did he not have to be there? And other guys that were in St. Paul, did you yep. have to bring them to Fort Myers? Yeah, no, the guys that, that got a full season of work in, in, in St. Paul, we gave the option of whether they wanted to continue that or they wanted to get a jump start on their off-season programming. And um, by and large, those guys chose to, to go home. Um, it was a, obviously a unique year, to say the least, with those guys living in a hotel and having the same restrictions and, and um, you know having a full workload that was a little bit different than what you would see in a normal season. So those guys, for the most part, took the option of, of going home. Um, but, you know, we were, we were in some ways limited by, by the number of rooms that we had between our rehab players, some rehab players that we had down there. Ultimately we landed at right around 50 players that we brought in uh, for the purpose of the instructional league. And, um, you know, considered a, a whole host of, um, of reasons why, why players were selected and, and why they were there and um, ultimately landed on a, on a group that we, we felt good about and, um, you know, obviously we'd, we'd prefer to have a minor league season where everyone's playing games and, and, you know, it's, it's everyone, every single player in our system is getting uh, equal amount of development time. Obviously 2020 has, um, put a wrench in, 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 in that. And we had to make some, some tough calls, but ultimately felt good about the group that we, that we landed on. I mean, heck, I mean, some tough calls moving forward, right? I mean, how many questions still exist about what the 2021 minor league season will look like? Yeah, I think that that question is is yet to be answered, and um, I know Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball are still working on an agreement for for how we're gonna um, you know govern the minor leagues moving forward. And I think all of us internally with the Twins, we're, we're waiting to see how that shakes out and how that's gonna gonna impact us. And um, and there's still questions about the next season, which um, you know, as we were discussing before we got before we got on this, like there's obviously you know still 
things are things are still still difficult and it's still a difficult environment and and um you know we're just gonna have to do the best we can and be be nimble on that front and and be flexible similar to how we were in, in 2020. I won't ask you about all 50 guys but I'll ask you about some guys I was I was texting with Sean Johnson somebody you know real well a couple weeks ago we were just catching up on some on some personal stuff I know that, that his wife welcomed a, a beautiful baby girl mm-hmm. the other day so we were just going back and forth on on some parenting stuff but but he had mentioned that that he had stopped down there, I don't know, maybe four or five weeks ago. And he he sent me a few names. I mean, he he said, hey, the draft picks. But he also gave me the name Ben Gross. Was he a 2019 draft pick? Yep. Uh, yeah, he did. He did a fantastic job. So he pitched in E-Town uh, during his debut and was solid. I mean, he was he was a um, he was a senior sign, um, you know, someone we we, we liked in the draft. Um brought him on board and, and, you know, expect him to go out and, and compete well and throw strikes and, and innings. And he, he did all those things during the shutdown. He worked really hard on his, his velocity. One of that was his focus for him. Um, remotely, we had some, some tools and ways that we were, we were, you know, trying to continue to push some guys um, to increase their velocity. He was one of the guys that, that had a um, ton of success. He worked his butt off, uh, came in, came in spring training in the low nineties and, and during instructs was sitting comfortably in the mid, mid to upper nineties. And, um, you know, a guy that we're excited about and he's, he's put, he's forced himself, uh, he's forced our hand and, um, you know, basically forced his inclusion, uh, despite being a senior sign. Let me ask you about the, the 2020 draft picks. I'll start with the first round pick. I'll just go in sequential order on, on Aaron Sabato, really outgoing guy. I did one of these with Aaron, like, I don't know, two months ago. And, and it was almost like I put the quarter in the machine, Alex, and just let him go. He was, he was fantastic, but he talked about how, how we shouldn't pigeonhole him at, at first base or, or as a DH that, that he feels like he can play some third base, maybe some corner outfield. Did you guys explore using him in different spots? So it's funny. We, we, so part of the way that we structure our infield work is that you get exposure to all the other, the other positions. So that was, that's, that's more a core, um, you know, characteristic of, of how we, how we train some of our infielders. So he did get reps um, in other spots. I was impressed with, with the defense. Like I think he, moves better. He's got better hands um, than, than I think at least, I, I mean, I obviously didn't see him in person um, during his, I guess it was a draft level sophomore. So I didn't see him in person, but some of the reports that, you know, you heard publicly was that that might be an, an area of, um, you know, not, not necessarily one of his strengths, but he, he, he impressed us. I think he moves well for his size. Like he has got good hands and he's a cerebral kid. So he, he can handle a lot of um, information that you throw at him or, or, you challenge him in a way he, he really understands what, what we're trying to get out of him and um, did a really nice job. Um, certainly on the defensive end. The second round pick, the outfielder from Tennessee is the pronunciation. Is it Solare? We, we, I think it's Solari. That's what, that's what I'm going with. Um, and he's very, very interesting player. He's super talented, has a really broad set of skills. So what's interesting is he played a little bit of second base at Tennessee, but mostly predominantly in the outfield, as you said, He's the one where we got him a lot of reps at, at second base and uh, really, you know, want to explore that avenue and want to try and open up as many doors for him um, as possible on the defensive end. And we really like his bat. He really controls the strike zone well. Um, his feel for the barrel, really, really advanced hitter. And, you know, just want to give a guy like that as many, many opportunities and as many avenues as we can um, to move up and, and, and create opportunities at the, at the major league level. And the high school kids, is it, is it Raya? I mean, I mean, I suppose it's hard to know what to expect with, with the high school kids, but yep. I know at least Sean, I mean, Sean was, 
was super excited about the two high school kids. Yeah, we love Marco. He did an, he's done an incredible, um, really, really good head on his shoulders. Sometimes with the high school kids, you, you really are teaching them, um, you know, very basic and elementary parts of what it means to be a professional, whether that's your weight room work, your training room work, you know, showing up on time, all these things that we sort of take for granted with some of our older players. Marco showed up with a lot of those things and he he's advanced in that way. And, and we were able to push him, um, you know, pu push him pretty aggressively with, with some of our, our programming. And he's, he really uh, rose to the occasion. Like he has some really interesting pitches, really good shape to his pitches, really good feel for what he's doing out there. He's up to 96 miles an hour. He just doesn't look the part of a, you know, a raw high school kid. He's, he's probably more polished than, uh, than you're used to seeing. So um, we're, we're like, very, very exciting. He, I, I feel like every outing I was texting Sean with, um, you know, some highlights or things that, that we're noticing and uh, did a fantastic job. Guy that we're, we're really excited about. And then Rosario, the outfielder from Hawaii. Yeah. Rosario too. Uh, he did a nice job. I mean, he's, you know, obviously come from you know Hawaii high school baseball. It's not necessarily the, the um, high school baseball hot um, hotspot, but um, he, he competed really well. He's got some really good tools. He's a, he's a bigger guy, but moves really well for his size. I think that was probably the most striking thing is really athletic kid uh, has really good, um, interesting bat to ball. We had really advanced pitching uh, at this camp. And as a kid who's facing, you know, some double A and some, even some triple A guys uh, really competed well, put the bat on the ball, had tough at bats. So um, we're excited. He's, he's, he's a little further away. There's going to be some, some work to do uh, to, to ultimately, you know, as he moved forward in his career, but showed a lot of really interesting uh, tools and, and definitely a guy that we're happy to get uh, where we did in the draft. Who stood out among those, those double A and triple A arms? Like I, I think Kane Arena was down there at least for a little bit. Yep. And, and I, I suppose some guys had to cap, you know, just pitch load, right. And, and innings load, yeah. like Kane Arena got some work here in St. Paul. So right. I imagine when he got down there, you had to cap the amount of work he put in. Yeah, Canarino is a guy that stood out, and he did. He, of all the guys during our shutdown, he was the most impressive. He was so prepared. He was so detail oriented. He he would take notes after before every one of his bullpens, what his focus was, you know, what he was going to try and execute that day, and then would come back to his notes afterwards and say how it went and describe it. And that was every single bullpen. So we knew to a T what Matt was doing. He was as detailed and as prepared as you could be. And, and that was part of why he earned uh, earned um, his way up to um, the alternate site right at the end of the, the major league re regular season. It was, we needed pitching and he had just done such a fantastic job. He really had forced our hand there, got up to the alternate site, uh, did a really nice job there. And then, like you mentioned, came down to instructs after and, and made a few more starts. Um, we did ultimately cap him, I think like probably a week to 10 days early, but um, he, did a fantastic job. Certainly somebody that stood out really since he's, he's arrived in our system. The other guy uh, that I think is worth mentioning is, is Josh Winder. Uh, we took him in the seventh round in 2018. Um, a guy that's been really steady performer for us. He's a incredibly hard worker, but we really started to see his stuff um, tick up um, during this instructional league. Uh, his fastball is up to 97 miles an hour. His curveball is up to 82 miles an hour. He's always had good secondary pitches, but you know, adding a little bit more, um, just a little bit more, you know, sharpness to him and a little bit more velocity has really helped him. And he was dominant. Um, he's a guy that probably is not a household name, you know, just yet on the, on the prospect uh, map, but a guy that took tremendous steps forward and has really uh, put himself in a, in a nice position going into 2021. I'll hit you on two more individuals, two hitters, and then I'll hit you on a couple other talking points and I'll send you on your way if that's okay, Alex. Okay. Uh, Matt Walner, Twin Cities kid, uh, pretty accomplished in, in college. So, 
you know, I mean, presumably he's further advanced than a lot of other hitters. How did how did Matt do? Matt did great. They said about Ken Reno on the hitting side. Um, that would certainly be Matt. Um, he actually, we were, we were fortunate that he spent some time in Pensacola um, during during the shutdown, where we have our double A hitting coach Ryan Smith uh, is living in Pensacola. So those guys got got the chance to to work one on one together um, at various points. He put a ton of work in on his swing. Um, he's a mature kid. He's he's polished. Um, we were very, very, very pleased with, with the work that he's done really since he got drafted till now, he's, he's really worked hard. I think the area that he's worked hard on is covering, um, pitches up in the zone a little bit better. He just has such natural loft to his swing that that's an area that with, you know, as the game's trending today, where, where you're seeing more, more pitches up in the, uh, the top half of the zone, like he's, he's worked hard on that. And we were thrilled with the progress that he's made and, and how, um, receptive he was to that, how, much ownership he took to, to some of the work that he's done. And um, like you said, advanced, you know, college bat that, that we're really excited about. Wander Javier. I mean, there's a lot of God given talent there, but it's been, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, it's been an interesting three or four years for Wander, right. With, with multiple injuries. Then obviously the pandemic eliminates this season where it might be hard to grasp right. maybe what his future holds, but I mean, he was, he was a big time signing when, when you guys signed him. It was pre, no I think, when, when you were in the organization, but he was a big time signing at the time. No doubt. And a lot of that talent is definitely still there. You know, he's a natural shortstop. He's, a, you know, for sure staying in the, in the middle of the diamond, which is obviously something that's hard to do and something that, that teams no doubt look for. Um, and you, as you mentioned, there's been a lot of, of bad fortune for him early in his career with the injuries, missing time. Um, and obviously the season, which is out of his control, um, to Wander's credit, he worked very, very hard during the shutdown. He worked on his swing. He worked on simplifying things. And he would tell you that last year, obviously, you know, was not his best year by, by any stretch. Um, and he, he took, he, you know, he took that upon himself and said, this wasn't, you know, good enough and worked really hard. I think the thing that was noticeable was him you know, cutting down his swing some and just trying to be a little bit more controlled and and um and simple honestly and we saw that show up he was probably one of our better hitters that we had um during instructional league he felt confident he felt healthy um and feels like he's ready to put his best foot forward um come 2021 and we were we were happy with the strides and you know the talent is still there there's there's an uh, undoubtedly um he's a talented kid and you know with, with the ability to play shortstop and play shortstop really well that buys you more opportunity that buys you more chances so we're excited to, to get you know, give Wander a clean slate in, in 2021 and, 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 you know, see what he, what he has to offer. Health-wise, did, did everybody come out of, of Fort Myers okay? And, I mean, were there any guys that, that were down there that, that had come off surgery that looked good? I mean, I guess, you know, kind of a two-part health-related health question there. Yeah, no, I, I've been in touch with a lot of um, some people that I'm friends with that work for other teams, and, and that seemed to be a theme that I was hearing from, from a lot of different organizations that when you're going from not doing very much and then spike the workload really high, that that's, that's a risk. And we were very, very fortunate. We had a few, um, we had a few minor things. One, you know, one guy got his cleat caught and did, had something that was growing. There were more, more those type of injuries than, you know, an elbow or a shoulder, which are obviously the more long-term and, and um, you know, impactful injuries. So we, we, we came out really, really, um really really good on that front and um really didn't you know knock on wood thank goodness we were we we felt you know pretty good with the way um with the way things things went for us so um you know testament to, to the players and their preparation and, and 
um, you know, the way they came in ready to go. And finally, what's, what's next? I mean, do these guys just go back to their, to their home bases and continue working out on their own and you'll see them sometime. I mean, I guess you don't even know, right? Like maybe it's sometime in late March, early April, if things get pushed back a little bit, like, I guess, just take us through what, what is next? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I think the, the fortunate thing is, is that we're now kind of in the timeline of a normal off season. Um, we are, we have given our guys the message of let's prepare. Like it's going to be a, a normal, normal time frame, and, you know, put the work in some for some of those guys that might require, especially on the pitching side, a little bit of a, a shutdown and a little deload, you know, take some of the, the throwing away more um, exercises and, and more, you know, weight room focus and, you know, mobility work and things along those lines. Um but, but, you know, we're, we're kind of in that normal off season swing now. And we'll, we'll, you know, I think the thing that we learned during the pandemic or during the shutdown from this year was new ways of staying in touch with our guys and new ways of getting, um, you know, better updates on, on how things are going when they're away from us using different forms of technology to, to help us do that. And, you know, we'll do, we'll do that this off season. We'll, we'll prepare the guys as, as best we can for, for a normal, uh, a normal season in 2021. And like I said earlier, if we have to adjust, then, then obviously we will. Alex, thank you for doing this. I'll certainly stay in touch. Stay safe and, and all the best. Nice chatting with you, Darren. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, let's, let's keep in touch. Twins Director of Player Development, a guy that's got an incredibly bright future, already is bright right now, Alex Hassan. We finished Scoop Podcast episode 320 with the great stretch for the Northern Iowa football program. So Terrence Camara here on Thursday commits to Northern Iowa, stud running back from Minneapolis North, one of the best football players in the state. So that's a great get for Northern Iowa. So is our next guest, Benny Sapp III. Played in high school at Eden Prairie, was on the Gophers for the last couple of years. Heck, was on the roster for the Michigan game. Didn't play in the Michigan game. Safety, they certainly could have used him. Did you see those safeties in the Michigan game? Maybe they should have put Benny in there for a few snaps. Anyway, shortly thereafter, Benny announced his intentions to transfer. Benny has now landed with Northern Iowa. His dad, of course, played for the Vikings. And I caught up with Benny earlier this week on his decision to transfer to Northern Iowa. Why leave the Gophers? And more. Here is my conversation with... Benny Sapp the third. Benny, just take us through your thought process. I mean, everything seemingly happened really fast. You enter your name into the transfer portal, and next sure. thing you know, you decide to to head to Northern Iowa. Uh, yeah, um, you know, uh, I, I just want to first off and say uh, thank the University of Minnesota program, you know, for giving me an opportunity. Back, in fact, you know, a 16-year-old kid, you know, who had all these knee surgeries coming in and uh, had a short, you know, senior year. And, um, you know, I just think that, you know, it was it was time, you know, to move on and, you know, seek out, you know, new opportunities for myself. And then perhaps, you know, to be by the grace of God that it was the University of Northern Iowa. And, um, you know, I can't wait to, you know, start and I can't wait to, you know, be there, you know, continue the legacy. Yeah, I mean, you talk about continuing the legacy. We all know about your dad's success there. Did it make, you know, your decision to to commit to Northern Iowa that much easier considering your dad's history? Yes, sir. Uh, you know, and, you know, by, uh, you know, with COVID and, you know, not being able to, you know, meet and go to facilities, you know, and all those type of things. And, you know, that, that helped me with the process, 
knowing that, you know, my, my father went there and, you know, trusting, trusting that, you know, I can have a trust, a trust, a trust, like, you know, trusting there going on with that situation. So it was very easy, you know, to make that decision. And I believe in the plan and the goal they have for me there. And I just can't wait. What is the goal that they have for you there? Uh, the goal is to, you know, to continue to develop me, you know, just not, you know, when I get there, you know, I'm just going to stay there, you know, because they, you know, they had multiple guys, you know, go to the NFL and everything like that. And they was, you know, just basically telling me just because it's an FCS school, that doesn't mean you can't go out of and go into the NFL. Prime example, Trey Lance, about to go top 10. So they was just, you know, telling me that they was going to continue to develop me as a player and as a person. And that's all I really need to hear. I mean, you're right. I mean, you say Trey Lance, I could give you about 50 more names. I mean, the NFL scouts are all over Northern Iowa. They're all over North Dakota State. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, FCS players get to the NFL all the time, Benny. Yes, sir. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, that has to, that has to excite you. Take us, take us through your timeline. So when will you head to Northern Iowa? When mm -hmm. can you start at least practicing with them? And then you'll be yeah. eligible then next year. Yeah. So, um, I, my semester here ends like in the middle of December. So, uh, I'm probably going to be there no later than the last week of December or the first week of January. And, uh, due to me, um, not playing, I, I think that I'm able to play in the February game, the February season, but I, I have to, uh, you know, see and make sure everything goes through well with compliance and the NCAA first. But uh, that's the goal right now, and I'll be yeah, able I mean, to go in yeah. like first week of January. I mean, isn't that crazy? I mean, yeah, the crazy. fact that that yeah, I mean, it could all work out really well just based on. On, I mean, it's such an atypical year for so many, yeah. right? That Northern yeah. Iowa season will be – is it is it February officially? Yes, sir. I think it's officially in February. And then is the plan for them to use you at the safety position? Uh, yes, sir. Um, they plan because, you know, the, uh, the University of Northern Iowa run a, a three-safety uh, defense, like, you know, based off sometimes. And they feel like I can play in either one of the three spots. And I'm just going to get there and wherever they put me at, I'm just going to give them the best of my abilities and bring everything I have to, to show them that they didn't make the wrong decision to, to bring me there. You touched on it a little bit in, in your opening statement, but just how grateful are you for, for the time yeah. that, that you have spent with, with the Gophers? Yes, sir. Uh, you know, uh, they, they treated me with the utmost respect, coaches, players, and, and everything. And, I, and, I, and when I discussed to them, that, you know, that I wanted to, you know, part ways and, you know, transfer. And they was totally understandable because, you know, certain programs, they'll sit there and try to force you to stay and everything like that. They was there, you know, they understood, you know, you know my decision and they, they was with me through the whole process. And they told me that, you know, they, they love me and they're going to be with me no matter what, no matter what happens. And, and if I need help, you know, find a school, they're more welcome to help me. And they were just very, you know, helpful with that process. And I'm so grateful that they was because it could have been totally different. Was this something you were thinking about, Benny, or, you know, just based on the way the Michigan yeah. game played out and the defense is is getting, unfortunately, just beaten up? And, and a lot of us are wondering, okay, maybe bring some other players into the game like you. And, yeah. and just the way the Michigan game played out, did everything change after the Michigan game? Or were you already thinking about uh -huh. transferring? Uh I was, I'll probably say uh, that I was already thinking about, you know, transferring. It was just, you know, 
I just didn't, you know, didn't know that, you know, obviously like the mission game. So like people are gonna, you know, say certain stuff like that. But I feel like before the season even started, I just felt like it was like, yeah, it's about time to like seek out new opportunities. So I'll probably say definitely before the season started. Was it disappointing though to, to not get in there for, for the Michigan game? Um I wouldn't say, you know, disappointing. I'll say more of a humbling experience because uh you never know when your opportunity is going to be presented to you. So uh, obviously, yeah, I was disappointed that we lost, but I mean, in a way, I wasn't disappointed, you know, in the in the way that, you know, I, I didn't get a chance, you know, play because, I mean, I can't sit there, you know, I can't be mad at, you know, what I can't control. So I just can be able to control what I control and just keep going like that and just put a smile on my face. Are you surprised at the defensive struggles? I mean, not only in the Michigan game, but obviously what we saw on, mm-hmm. on Friday at Maryland? Uh. Uh, I was, I wouldn't say I was surprised, but, you know, I just know that, you know, that we have a lot of new spots, you know, that they're trying to fill in right now. And, you know, it's hard, you know, with, especially with COVID and trying to get everybody to like, you know, to come together this fast. And, you know, you got true freshmen out there, you know, you got people that haven't played a snap in like in a, over a year. And, you know, you got COVID people coming back in and out. And that's not an excuse or anything, but I feel like they're going to get it together sooner or later. And I feel like it might be this next game. So hopefully it works out good for them. Yeah, they play Illinois, and, and I'm with you. I think everything will will yeah. rebound at some point. It's not going to be this bad yeah. all year. How much did the fact that there will be, at least it appears, a spring season for Northern Iowa? Like, do you still go to Northern Iowa? Let's say they were playing right now and you had to sit out and, and not play again until next fall. Do you still end up in Northern Iowa? Uh, I probably would still probably end up at Northern Iowa. Um, I, yeah, I probably say I'll probably still will have because you know it would have still been probably I probably wouldn't have made my decision as fast, but I probably would have ended up still going though for sure. What sort of resources have your dad been and and Tyrone Carter? I mean, you're still tight with Tyrone, right? He's yeah. He's he's like an uncle, right? I mean, he's he's uh, a family member. You know, what sort of resources were your dad and Tyrone through this process? Uh, there was, you know, a great resource. You know, uh, uh, Ty, Tyrone uh, TC. He was, you know, you call he called me when I, you know, hit, hit the you know transfer portal. And, you know, he was just bringing, you know, you know positivity and you know keep my head up and everything's gonna work itself out. And my father said the same thing, and you know, he told me that this the this the year. And it's it was meant for me. Was meant for me, and and I, I'm extremely grateful for that process through my my dad and you know Tyrone uh, Tyrone Carter helping me out with this process. I'll let you go after this, Benny. What what sort of what sort of inspiration are you? Do you think for for others the 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 perseverance, everything you've overcome? You touched on it briefly, the the knee surgeries, but you've overcome a lot just to yes, be sir. able to play in college. Yeah. You know, do you feel like you're an inspiration for others? Uh, most definitely, because uh, not everybody get a chance to, you know, play on that big stage. And just me being blessed with the situation that I am with all those knee surgeries I have, I feel like you honestly have to go in your mind and talk to yourself, you know, and break those barriers and those walls and insecurities you have and all those fears that you have to play here in this league. And I feel like I did a, a pretty good job with that, you know, taking taking that out, you know, my game, because when I first got there, I wore my knee brace and then 
after I played through a whole season with it, you know, it was type of like a kind of mental thing aspect for us. And I feel like um, long as you, you know, your mental health is like probably the most important thing. And long as you can control your mind and set it to anything you want to do, it's, there's no disguise. There's no, there's no limit. Like there's no limit at all. So yeah, I'll definitely say I'm an aspiration and I'm blessed to be in that position to tell you that. Well put one more hit me, Benny. How, how happy are you for, for your friend Antoine Winfield Jr.? I mean, how about the run he's on? I mean, I think he's going to be the defensive rookie of the year. I have to imagine you had to have learned a lot from Antoine. Yeah. And, and it's, and it's kind of funny you say that because I always tell him, like, every time, you know, I get a chance to talk to him. Like, I talked to him the other day because, you know, he talked to me about, you know, like when I was transferring. And I honestly think Antoine's going to be the defensive rookie of the year. And and I'm standing on that, and I'm not changing my decision. I don't care what the season ends. I don't, I don't care about nothing, none, of, none of that stuff. But Antoine taught me so much just when, me, when I was coming in, you know, as a freshman, you know, basically with bad knees, you know, kind of weak, you know, didn't get in no program or whatever. And I never played safety before and I barely played corner in high school. So it was just, it was just such a blessing watching him and learning certain things from him that I'm going to take with me forever. And I'm so grateful that I was so, I was able to see that and watch that for two years. Cause now he's about to be the defense rookie of the year. So it can't get no better than that. So I'm really, really happy for Antoine. I can't wait to see what the future holds for him. Benny, thank you so much for doing this. All the best the rest of this semester and then when you get to Northern Iowa, okay? Yes, I appreciate you, man. Thank you. Okay. We'll certainly be in touch. Take it easy, Benny. All right, you too. Benny Sapp third on leaving the Gophers for Northern Iowa. That will wrap it up. This has been a lengthy podcast. Hopefully you enjoyed at least portions of it, maybe all of it. Always appreciate you listening. Going on now, what, almost – April 2016, April 2020, four and a half years strong, give or take, four and a half years strong on this podcast, 320 episodes, and always appreciate the support. Stay safe, stay sane.